and we welcome you to another edition of Gateway to Baseball Heaven. I'm your host, Daniel Shopdahl, C70 is the bat, at C70 on Twitter. With me, as always, Tara Wellman from Birds on the Black, and at Tara Wellman, it's Daylight Savings Time Day. The uh, hours uh, went away from us, so we're probably slightly sleep-deprived, but we got more sunlight. Maybe it all canceled out. We also have more baseball to talk about. Another week is in the books, and it was... Well, the week was interesting. The weekend has been interesting, Tara. As yeah. Saturday, just kind of out of the blue, um, Yaro Munoz gets cut from the Cardinals um, <laughs> after, as we found out, basically just uh, throwing a fit, going home, and not telling anybody that Cardinals don't usually do weird in spring training, but that counts as weird. That's one of the weirdest stories. Specifically in the spring, but kind of just in general that I remember in a long time because there was no lead up and it was sort of just like this one sentence at the end of a much longer press release. And then as pieces started to come out, it was like he's been gone for a week and no one noticed um, or said anything anyway. And of course, this all comes off of him having a bit of an injury, not quite knowing how long he's going to be out. But in a season where he had as good a shot as any to make the opening day roster, I think, with the 26-man addition. So very strange, weird that, you know, he kind of, the team sort of had to find out from a teammate who texted him or something to that effect. And I don't think it's going to help his case as far as another team is concerned that that's how he handled it. So even if he could have been picked up by another team and and played somewhere else this season and perhaps been more happy with the playing time or the role he was given, this doesn't seem like a thing that's going to help his case. Not at all. I mean, the idea, I mean, it may be a little bit dramatic to say that Yara Munoz will never play baseball again, but it's not out of the realm of possibility. Um, or at well, least, and it's, you know, it's not how he's... It's not how he's going to get a better job. <laughs> right. I mean, and, you know, I guess there's an argument that, hey, sure, playing all the time for the Tigers is better than being a, you know, contributor on a team that's going to go to the playoffs, depending on how you want to look at it. But, you know, and, and I mean, the whole thing is just crazy. Apparently, it had built up for a while, but... He was unhappy last year. He was unhappy with spring training. If he had just waited a week, he got his salary guaranteed. You know, it, mm, he, yeah. he left at the point where the Cardinals were able to cut him and, and save five-sixths of his salary for the year. And I'm granted, that's not just a huge amount for the Cardinals. It's probably a significant amount for Jairo Munoz, right, I, I would think. Because right. um, you're talking about, you know, four or $500,000. And it would be a significant amount to me. I don't care how miserable I was. I think I'd wait another week, you know? <laughs> Yeah, at least uh, at least make the um, dramatic storm out work in your favor to some extent, as opposed to completely, you know, torching everything on the way out and costing yourself money. Yeah, but I thought it was very interesting. One, I mean, to to hear, well, one, it was interesting. There's lots of interesting things. One was interesting that Mike Schilt was even saying he had an inside ro- tra- uh, track on a roster spot because. A lot of us had thought Munoz was kind of ticketed to Triple A just to play a lot of times, and maybe that would have been better for him. You know, he could have played more um, and, and shown some value, and then maybe gotten traded to a team that could use him more, or been able to, you know, at least make an argument to to get playing time in St. Louis. Um, but it sounded like Schilt was 
like you said, with that 26 man, kind of ready to put him on the roster. Um, which, I mean, granted, he'd had a strong spring, but the other side of that was he would have been on the, the IL to start with and getting paid major league money. Mm-hmm. Um, I was, a, I don't know. I mean, were you a little bit surprised? I mean, obviously not. You just said that he probably had a good run, but I was just a little bit surprised that he had made that kind of impact this spring. I th- Maybe I wasn't surprised by that comment only because I get the feeling that the guys who have been there and done that for Mike Schilt before kind of mm. automatically have an inside track. I don't know if that's necessarily how he would describe it. Um, and and I know that there would be some pushback against that because that sounds very Mike Matheny-esque, but we saw some of that in sort of how quickly Tyler O'Neill disappeared and how quickly Mike Schilt stuck with guys who maybe should have taken a <laughs> taken a beat and and sat on the bench for a while because they were struggling so much. There's some sort of loyalty factor, and I think there kind of has to be with every manager in baseball because of the trust that has to be there between the manager who's making those calls and the players who are, you know, this is their livelihood. This is what they do. This is who they are. And there has to be a trust factor there. And we kind of saw the the results of some of that at times last season. But I think maybe it didn't surprise me because that kind of commentary doesn't surprise me from Mike Schilt when we're talking about a guy who has in fact contributed at times. And, and I guess even going back to last season, the times that Munoz did play, the fact that he played in the outfield and the fact that he played perhaps more, more regularly at times than we thought he should have, or he played over someone who maybe was better at a spot defensively. For all those things, it's not surprising to me that Mike Schilt would kind of come, come in with the idea of this is my guy unless something changes my mind. So to me, that whole inside track to a roster spot thing was kind of just more of that side of the Mike Schilt mindset that I've seen. Um, but it's really just an observation and, and not anything based on kind of what his spring had been to this point. Yeah. And that, that's fair. Um, you're right that he does seem to, to value the, the little bit of experience, not maybe not overvalue it as the prime right, manager right. did, but he definitely put some value on that. So, so maybe so. Um, although again, and Mondososo seems to be having such a good camp that it would have been mm-hmm. a bit of a shame to, for him to go uh, back to Memphis and, and Munoz to come back. You know, although, you know, again, Munoz was having a good one before he got hurt. Um, but then to, to find out, you know, from John Mosellock and from Mike Schilt that Munoz was very unhappy with playing time last year. Uh, something that we hadn't really heard. They kept it pretty good to keep it in house, but then to see, some of the former A's people that he had dealt with be absolutely <laughs> not surprised at all that this happened. Um, it, it sounds to sounds like Munoz may not be the ideal teammate uh, and, and maybe not so many people are going to be that th- sad to see him go. Yeah. I'll be honest with work and, and other things going on this weekend. I haven't seen a ton of the aftermath as far as former uh well, whatever the the relation is to Munoz from the A's and some of that story coming out. But it is a little strange. I, I'm surprised with as much 
commentary as there is about clubhouse dynamics, that that's not something we had heard about from Munoz or from, you know, someone else or from just reporters who get that vibe in the clubhouse or whatever it is. So I guess, I mean, one thing to his credit is that he didn't seem to be making a huge deal about it in season, but I, I don't know that I felt like Munoz was everybody's best friend either. So there's uh, there's always more going on than we know about, and it's always interesting when something dramatic happens and people go, "Oh yeah, I'm I actually I'm not surprised by that at all." <laughs> yeah, it was in a you know it was a Saxon article. Apparently, a, a player AJ Burke from the A's um, retweeted it and said, "If you know Yaro personally, this is far from shocking." Oh. <laughs> um, and yeah, that's uh, <clears throat> tough to. That also with. doesn't help his next prospective employer. <laughs> no, not at all. When it seems to be he's gotten a bit of a reputation. I mean, look, Munoz made it on the postseason roster last year, but then he only got one at bat in game four of the NLCS. So there was a little bit of a dichotomy of how they valued him versus how they used him. It very it seemed very strange. I remember us talking at the time that they used Munoz and took him and then just never let him play, you know. Uh, what was the point of him being on the roster? And it felt like there were other options that might have been better. It, it, that's what it really boils down to, right? I mean, if Yara Munoz was your starting shortstop, people are on the plane to the Dominican to go find out what's going on. Right. Um, but Munoz just, I mean, he was he was a solid, he was a, a, a decent enough player, but he wasn't good enough to deal with the drama. And that's like we're saying, that's really going to be a problem for him unless he signs with the Mets who are so used to the drama, but um, I think it's going to be really difficult for him to find a spot uh, in baseball going forward. And and he's going to have to really show that he's a a bit of a different person and be willing to play at at AAA because I can't imagine any team would put him straight on their major league roster. And not only show that he's willing to play where they put him, but also like just be better. Like, make yourself better. Make yourself... And now, that's easy to say, right? It's not... Right. You can't always just be like, well, then I'm going to be better than the starting shortstop and force their hand. But the point is, if you're unhappy with your playing time, your best option isn't just to stomp away and leave. It's to either work harder or change what you're doing or make yourself more more valuable in a different way or just kind of reevaluate your perspective and realize that you're still getting to do what like 1% of baseball players ever get to do. And that's pretty cool in and of itself. So I, I don't know. I, it's easy for me to sit here and, and kind of assume that everything that led up to this was perhaps lacking in some perspective, but I also am not the ones he flew home to the Dominican Republic to be with. So um, I hope that he can use this moving forward, whatever forward looks like. But as far as the Cardinals are concerned, no, not necessarily a tough decision when they have guys like Sosa who are playing well, when they have Tommy Edmond who can play pretty much any position you put him on, put him in on the field. And they, they kind of Munoz was a redundancy anyway. So not a great look for Munoz, not a particularly difficult decision for the Cardinals. No. And I will give Munoz a a bit of, I don't know, empathy or whatever. You know, apparently he was good friends with Marcelo Zuna, who's obviously not there anymore. Um, and that was a situation that was a little bit that could sour you on an, an organization. If you watch your friend go through some of some of that. Um, but I think it really just sounds like he realized that between the, 
between the injury and the players coming up behind him. And like you said, Tommy Edmond being on the roster anyway, he just was only going to play, you know, maybe once a week, if that, and if he wanted to do that, he'd switch to catcher. So he was, I mean, yeah, you know, he was the emergency catcher at times, right? I think so. I think he was maybe, I can't remember <laughs> for sure. But anyway, um, so yeah, that was the most interesting story of the weekend. Maybe the more important story of the weekend was that the Cardinals um, re-upped all their players that they could. You know, the people that have less than three years of control, the people that don't go to arbitration, really get no say in their contract. Um, but sometimes the Cardinals try to work with them. Sometimes they'll offer them something. And if they can come to some agreement, then that's great. If not, then the Cardinals have the ability to assign a salary. And that's what they did to everybody, which includes Jack Flaherty. Um, and that's the one, of course, everybody's talking about. This is really becoming a, a tradition, if you will. Tommy Pham did it. Um, and then this is the second year for Flaherty to the point that the Cardinals have a formula of how they calculate their, you know, what they're going to offer these people. And I think, if I, I think we mentioned this last year too. I find it very interesting that the formula includes a penalty for not coming to terms with the team more than once. Yeah. Um, that he would have lost 10,000. I think he lost $10,000 yeah. because he didn't come to terms with them last year and isn't this year. And that, oh boy, that just that just strikes me wrong. I, I understand what they're doing in the the formula sense. They're trying to take a little bit of emotion out of it and calculate this up. But to add in this idea of you didn't agree with us last year, so we're going to punish you for not doing it again, it just seems wrong. Yeah, it's it's an interesting story in that it's not it's not as big of a story as it's become simply because it is kind of just how the system works mm -hmm. at this point, but. As far as anything that Jack Flaherty has said, that's entirely his point, is that it's not some sort of vindictive thing that he thinks the Cardinals are doing, and he doesn't hold it against the team necessarily, but the system isn't right. And then to add to that, this penalty, that's where it feels like, okay, the system exists, operate within the functions of the system, fine. But what good does that penalty do you if you would eventually like to sign that player to a long-term mm -hmm. contract? Mm -hmm. I don't think there's any scenario in which that helps your case. So it's a strange addition to that formula. It's a strange addition to the process. And I think what it comes down to is, again, just putting a magnifying glass on how much more aware players have become about their own value mm -hmm. and how much more willing they are to kind of take the short-term hit to prove the long-term point. And it's a fascinating time in baseball because of that, because we're seeing more players really take ownership of what their, what their contract is, how their team perceives their value and what they're willing to take. And I mean, that's what's going to make the collective bargaining agreement so interesting. It's going to be wild to see kind of what the debate back and forth is on some of these things as far as contracts go. Because, look, Jack Flaherty is worth far more than league minimum <laughs> at this point mm -hmm. in his career. And it's absolutely fair for him to make that case. But because the system is what it is, he doesn't really have any leverage at all other than to just sort of make a point. And I think that's what he's doing. I think that's, it's as much for 
future generations of players as it is for Jack Flaherty. He's very outspoken as far as kind of trying to make things better for other people too. And that's gonna, there's going to be some tension baseball wide over this kind of thing and how the Cardinals don't let that hurt them in the Jack Flaherty situation is going to be really interesting. Yeah. Now the, the Cardinals did maybe make a little bit of amends. Their formula apparently calculates allows for top three finishes in awards to get a bonus mm, in that yeah. calculation. And Flaherty of course came in fourth, which they could have just held the line. They went ahead and gave him that extra bonus anyway. So it kind of canceled out the penalty a right, little bit. Right. Um, so there is that. Um, I, again, that's a, it's a small bone to throw, but it is something. Um, <laughs> yeah. And I, I mean, it, it does sort of <clears throat> clarify that this isn't like an us versus them at this yeah. point. It just sort of is the weirdness of the system. Right. Um, but yeah, and I think a lot of people, you know, a lot of people say, hey, the Cardinals should just give him two, three, four million dollars. And they could. But I mean, one it's not exactly in their interest necessarily, unless you're trying to build some goodwill, which with a collective bargaining agreement still just right on the corner, we don't know what that means. You know, I mean, nobody knows what the future is going to hold with these contracts and stuff Mm -hmm. after, but after next season. So it's, you hate to get yourself locked into too much. Um, But on the other side, I mean, they've got responsibilities, not only to their team and their players and their pay structure, but, to some degree, a little bit of baseball as well. And if they're going around throwing around three or $4 million when they don't have to, it puts other teams in a pretty tough situation. And I don't, you know, I'm not saying it's right, but you can also see where they're not wanting to necessarily rock the boat because that's what baseball is right now. Nobody wants to rock the boat on any of this stuff. We've talked about it at the risk of starting something. Um, we've talked about it in the minor league pay scale too. Um, with you know what the Blue Jays started, and finally another couple teams have started to pay their minor league players more, but nobody really wanted to be the first one out on that limb for so long. Yeah, I was going to go there whether you brought it up or not. So uh, no, but it is similar in the respect that look for four million dollars, the major league teams, all major league teams, could completely change the livelihoods of their minor mm-hmm. league players, right? So right. it's not as if we're talking... Now, when we say, oh, you could give him 2 or $3 million, that sounds like a lot of money to me. <laughs> mm-hmm. But as far as the team is concerned, it's not going to hurt them in the long run. So while I understand you kind of don't want to change how you operate or operate outside the system until you know what the system's going to be. But at the same time, no one's talking about offering Jack Flaherty a $30 million a year contract, right? They're talking about mm-hmm. something significantly, like fractionally improved from something that he's getting now to what he might get later on as a free agent. And yeah, I, I mean, I, I if you think about it from the perspective of the businesses and the fact that Major League Baseball as a whole probably doesn't want its individual teams sort of going rogue and changing the status quo because of what it would mean for everyone else. I I totally understand that. I do think that that, again, emphasizes how messed up the system is in this regard because it's it limits them so much to not being able to reward reward players who are far and above what that sort of minimum standard is meant to be. And that's where that 
three million dollars for Jack Flaherty or that four million dollars for the minor league system as a whole. It's not something that's going to harm major league clubs, but it's talked about as if it's, you know, this absolutely we can't cross that line because what's it going to mean for other teams? And that's where it gets tricky and it gets complicated and it gets contentious because nobody wants to be the first one to kind of break through that barrier and almost force the hands of other teams by setting a new standard. And there's also another component to this. And again, you can argue about how much it would hurt or whatever the case may be. But if you give Jack Flaherty $3 million this year, next year he goes to arbitration. And that arbitration is going to be based on, you know, what he earns now versus what he does and what he does this coming year. So instead of getting him for, say, $4 million next year, you wind up having to pay him $7 million. And again, this is great for Flaherty. It's still not necessarily what's going to hurt the, the but. That's how that's how payrolls skyrocket, um, sure, and the teams sure. don't yep. want to do that. So, you know, if if arbitration wasn't an issue, I wonder if you would see some of that a little bit more of people. I can pay this guy because he's got you know this kind of you know resume, um, and we're going to have him under control for until he becomes a free agent, however long that is, and so we don't have to worry about. Uh, uh, somebody that knows nothing about baseball coming in and saying, oh, well, you paid him this much this year. We're going to pay him this much next year, even if he gets hurt or whatever the case might be. So, again, I, I'm not arguing that that's not necessarily <laughs> a good thing, but I, I do see that um, where baseball, at least some of the ideas of where baseball is coming from. Now, again, I think it points out, like you're saying, that Flaherty's pointing out, the system's broken. And, <sighs> boy, I don't know... You know, I don't know that there's any way you could pay, you know, people a whole lot more when they first come into the league and then pay them like league minimum when they're leaving um, to match up, you know, yeah. what they're giving you. But uh, there's got to be some way of balancing the scales. I just don't know what it is. And I'm sure we'll figure that out when the CBA comes up and they do a whole lot of trying to do that. Yeah. I mean, it's those years of control that really mm -hmm. kind of mess with some guys, right? Because, and you know, if you look at it on average, maybe it averages out to be about right. But yeah. for the guy who's good in his first or second year of that team control, and then, you know, you're waiting six years until you can make any real money. And obviously arbitration comes into play there, but nonetheless, the reality right. is that team control allows a, a team to employ someone for significantly less than what their actual value is. And that's just the way the system works. So it's, I mean, if you sort of look at it from a very simplistic perspective, a system that on purpose keeps you from paying someone what they're actually worth. <laughs> mm -hmm. I mean, it's not hard to see the flaws there pretty quickly. And, yeah. you know, there has to be some sort of protection for the teams so that they don't get nickel and dimed to death, which sounds crazy when we're talking about million dollar contracts, but there has to be some protection for the teams as well. But the players, like I said, they're beginning to know what their value is and what it should be. And it's going to mean wholesale changes, I think, to the way some of those contracts are structured so that you're not looking at a guy who is a legitimate Cy Young contender, who's not going to get paid like a Cy Young contender for another three or four years. 
And we should point out again, this is not a Cardinals problem. I think right. I saw the right. same story that was talking about Flaherty that, you know, Juan Soto, who is obviously mm-hmm. very, very good. And we saw a lot of him in the, in the postseason get renewed for the Nationals at their minimum, uh, at the minimum as well. So, um, plus, I mean, I don't, I think Flaherty got a little bit extra than the money. Yeah. Not yeah. much, but, you know, it's something that they didn't have to. They could have just renewed him at something. That's, again, maybe a penny's worth of goodwill who knows but um anyway it's just yeah it's just one of those things that baseball's gonna do it and you know unless unless team players go and sign those contracts that we kind of deride them for signing and signing away all these you know what, what ronald Acuna jr wasn't he one that signed you know what, like a mm-hmm. five-year yeah. something deal at, at very limited market value um who could have earned a whole lot more once he hit the free agent market but you know unless they do that it's going to be a lot of you know, fighting every tooth and nail for, for every bit. And you're, you know, you're right. There's a, there's a group of players seems to be willing to do that. And if they're willing to do that, it feels like that's a good way to have actual change coming along. Right. Um, but it may be painful and ugly while they're trying to do it. Yeah. I mean, I think in part, this is why we're seeing some of the sort of top tier prospects <laughs> signing long-term deals before mm-hmm. they even have a chance to be in a situation like this. And that's a fascinating concept to me because again, much like those long-term contracts where maybe they're not going to make as much as they would have if they waited until free agency, but now they're at least making enough money to, you know, survive not on minor league minimum salaries. Although most of those guys are probably uh, top prospects enough that they're, they're not the ones who are eating half a package of ramen noodle soup every Mm -hmm. night so they're doing all right but the point is we're starting to see some interesting options creep up with some of these teams in order to maybe prevent some of these situations because they know that there are there's this whole new generation of ball players who is gonna want what they're worth and you know i don't i think there's some tendency to see players as being greedy but the reality is they're not the ones who have the money. <laughs> it's the teams that do. The teams are the ones that have the money that don't want to give it up. So it's just that contentious back and forth that there's always going to be in a scenario like this, right? Where there's an owner or where there's an employer and there are employees who don't feel like they're getting what what they deserve. And the beauty of kind of the way this works is that they have the chance to change it by kind of making their point, whether it's, intended to come across with the shock value that it does like this with Jack Flaherty or if it's just to sort of say okay I know what this game is I understand this process I'm not going to be part of it because I want to help change it and that's a it's a really interesting time for baseball as far as that's concerned absolutely well we've gone almost our normal 30 minutes and we haven't really talked about anything that's on the field yet. Um, I guess, depending played on how baseball you played this week, huh. apparently, apparently <laughs> did. Well, somebody that did not play baseballs, we'll use this um, maybe as our, our final topic was Andrew Miller, Andrew Miller, who, uh, what I think they said, they didn't have a feel for the ball. And it sounded like it wasn't like, Oh, he just couldn't, you know, get the fastball working. It feels like he literally couldn't feel the ball. Um, yeah. Yeah. And, that seems that, like a problem. <laughs> that does seem like a problem. And that seems like an issue that has come up a number of times with the Cardinals. We see it, but I'm sure with other and other places. 
and it doesn't usually resolve itself all that well. No. Um, they've already kind of just said that Adam Miller is not going to make the opening day roster, which before we, before we get into that though, let's talk a little bit what this means for Andrew Miller and what does this mean for the, I mean, the Cardinals have him just under contract for this year. Is this a situation where it's going to be something serious or do you think we'll see him, you know, do a little rehab and be back, you know, after a month or two? I think it's hard until there's a little more clarity as far as a mm-hmm. diagnosis, because you if want it's, facts, Tara, come on. Yeah, you know, the. Oh, man. Just, I can assume all I want. I mean, <laughs> he probably like got frostbite and his hand's falling off or something. Exactly. Anyway, that's what's happening. Um, <laughs> that's what I'm no, talking about. But, but if it's if it's a nerve issue, it's different than if it's that whatever it was that um, like your hands turn white and you can't feel your fingers. Mm-hmm. I don't remember what it's called. But oh, yeah, there there are different um things that that could be and until they sort of figure out what it is it's hard to really speculate on when he could come back and and be effective but it does it does change things right because he was a guy that last year we were a little frustrated not a little frustrated with we were often quite (laughs) frustrated with because he was supposed to be the big acquisition that didn't seem to quite ever you know kick it into high gear and he'd look fantastic one batter and then look like he forgot how to play baseball the next. And, you know, that's a frustrating position for him to be in as well. I think he spoke about that really wanting to be more consistent this year. So then to have this creep up, not only does it keep him from opening day, but I can't imagine that it's going to help with the consistency, even if they do figure out what it is. So for that to be the guy that was kind of supposed to be, your could be closer if you needed him to be, but ended up being more of a lefty specialist. I, it, it turned into weird things last year. The The benefit is, not for Miller, but for the Cardinals, that mm-hmm. they have a lot of arms right now, and they have a lot of left-handed arms that they could use at the major league level. I don't know what that means for Andrew Miller, though, because it's going to be harder for him to fit into a bullpen role if he's particularly inconsistent and someone else is you know full speed ahead so not a great time for any one of those bullpen arms to have any sort of setback just because there are so many other options right it's also bad for andrew miller because i was just looking he's got an option for 2021 that vests if he pitches 110 innings in 19 and 20 so he needs to pitch in at least 37 innings 37 games sorry this this year and Without an injury, that's a that's a slam dunk. Um, he, like I said, he did seventy three last year, but with this, I mean that you know, he might not. In which case, then he becomes a free agent at the end of the year, at the end of a a year where he's been hurt. So you know, there's a lot of things going on for him. But you're right. You know, the Cardinals were looking at it, trying to figure out how not to carry four lefties in the in the bullpen with uh, Cabrera and Cecil and Webb and him. Well, you know, that seems to have solved itself a little bit, you know, but that's the, that's the phrase. Baseball has a way of working things out as Munoz proved that he mm-hmm. does it differently sometimes. Yeah. But, um, <laughs> but um, yeah, I think that's, uh, you're right. I think it's very serious. It's very worrisome for him, but it could be good for the Cardinals. He hate to say that now. Again, it's hard to know how much of that, you know, Evander Miller's problem last year was the juice to ball, which we still mm, haven't yeah. determined whether that's coming back for this year or not. 
Um, he gave up more home runs last year, I think, than he ever had in his career, or at least really close to this career high, if it wasn't that. So maybe that's some of it. But and, and again, maybe this works out where he gets some rest and, and they figure out the problem and he's back midseason and you get a, a, a bullpen down the stretch of him and Hicks and all these other arms that have been so good. Um, it's basically like two trades. That's right. <laughs> Which means John Mosellock can probably just take off right now. Uh, you know. Yeah, just just pack it in for the year. Yeah, yeah, he's he's done. I mean, two trades. That's crazy talk. Um, <laughs> but but yeah, I, I think you know, I think this does open the door for Hennessy's Cabrera to have a chance at the bullpen. Although I still think they're probably going to want to take him to Memphis. Um, but we've seen, you know, you know, a lot of people jumped on. The idea after Munoz was before we do the whole Munoz story, the idea that the Cardinals may have cut Munoz so they could free up the spot for Dylan Carlson because Dylan Carlson needs to be out of the forty man if he's going to go north, and we've, that's a conversation that we've had and probably will have again, but not to that. Um, but they could also use that spot for a guy like Cody Whitley, um, who has looked good in the spring for for the most part, um, and, and would add a right handed aspect to the bullpen. Um, you know, I don't know. I don't know what they, how they do that. Um, but I think that's a lot of questions that Mike Schultz didn't necessarily expect to have to be deciding. Um, but it may play out to the benefit of the Cardinals to be able to give them a chance to look at some of these young arms and, and see them for a while. And if it doesn't work out, then maybe Miller's ready to go by the time you have to send them down. Or if not, somebody else is ready. Yeah, it's the beauty of almost... <laughs> having too many arms for not enough spots, but then kind of getting a chance to do the opposite of that sort of, he's already penciled into a spot because he was on the major league team last year. That not, isn't always the best use of your talent. And we talk about that a lot that and it's, again, this is not just a Cardinals thing. This is a baseball wide issue. The experience is valued so much. And sometimes the contracts are considered so much that maybe the young guy who's actually a better option doesn't ever get the chance. Now I'm not saying Cabrera is better than Andrew Miller. We, that there, that's still to be seen, right? The ceiling is very high for Cabrera, but the, the proof is in the pudding and there's still some th- that proof that we need to see, I think at this point from him, but to your point, maybe this is the way that they get a chance to look at some of those other guys, whether it's Whitley or whether it is Cabrera or whether it's Fernandez or whether it's, you know, there are so many, we could go down the list of guys that pretty realistically are pitching like they deserve a spot in the major league bullpen, but they're just going to run out of spots. So that gives somebody a chance to kind of take an opportunity and run with it. And, uh, and we'll see what happens. But as far as Miller is concerned, certainly, certainly not good news for him on any front with the uh, inability to feel a baseball as a major league baseball player. It does seem to be kind of the, one of the main parts of the job um, bit, that you should, bit. You should do. Um, yeah. And, and you know, we've talked a lot about these bullpen pieces and there are so many of them, but there's so many people in that mix for that fifth spot that aren't going to get it. John yeah. Dan and mm-hmm. Austin Gomber and Daniel Ponce de Leon and, are they going to be in the bullpen? Are they going to go to be this super rotation in Memphis? I mean, Gant can't, but a lot of these other guys, I mean, you could have a rotation of Gomber, Ponce de Leon, Cabrera, Woodford uh, in Memphis. And that's not bad. I mean, that's better than (laughs) maybe better than the Pirates rotation. You know, I mean, so, you know, freeing up a spot, at least 
gives us a little bit, you know, it's always feels like you sit down at the beginning of spring training and you're like, who's going to make this roster? And you look at it and it's like, well, there's, there's, you know, you know, who's going to make it. There might be one change, but something like this and something like the Munoz throws that wrinkle into things. And now all of a sudden there really is a competition for that, you know, yeah. last spot in the, mm-hmm. in the bullpen or last spot of the bench that might not have been there before. So it makes the next couple of weeks kind of interesting. It might even get Alex to pay attention. Maybe he said that he he's starting to care a little bit more, yep. but we'll we'll find out this week. See how much yeah. this changes things. I, I, I bet I bet the fever is getting him. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He's going to he be quoting. Can't... He'll be quoting Taylor O'Neill's walk strats. Yep. in this in mm-hmm. this chirps. I'm sure of it. So. <laughs> All right. Well, it has been another fun time, and um, the Cardinals will have a full week of games. They don't have a day off again until next Tuesday. So. Um, we should have a lot of things to talk about. Um, we, you know, we've had those first batch of cuts and I don't think anybody, it kind of got overshadowed by the Munoz news. I don't think there was anybody that was of any surprise there. So, but maybe by next week, I assume there'll be some new ones, some more cuts probably by the time we get together next week and maybe we'll have some more things to talk about. So uh, until then, that is Tara. I'm Daniel. Good night. Hey, Cardinals fans. Thanks for listening to this week's show. If you liked what you heard, you can find us on iTunes. Just search Gateway to Baseball Heaven under Podcasts and click Subscribe. While you're there, feel free to give us five of those little gold stars or even a quick review. And tune in next time as we break down another week in Baseball Heaven.